Uh, we were singing one of the songs, Jesus Makes the Darkness Tremble. And immediately I felt the Lord lay on my heart, so not us, not you. So Jesus makes the darkness tremble, but not you. See, Jesus, his death and resurrection wasn't to put fear in us, it was to give us freedom. If we tremble because of something, if we get all worried and fearful about something that's happening, that actually is not our destiny. Our destiny is to be victorious in all the situations that are around us. We also sang in the same song, your name Jesus cannot be overcome. And immediately I sensed, so why should we feel overcome? You see, we're not to be overcome, we have Jesus in us. He's the overcomer, which makes us the overcomers. And whatever transpires, whatever happens, our destiny is not to be overcome by the junk around us, it's to actually live a lifestyle of an overcomer. Then when we look at the trials and tribulations, they become windows of opportunity instead of windows of defeat. As soon as we look at a trial and we think it's a window of defeat, we open the window to the defeat and we become defeated. But you see, Jesus Christ never, ever, God never, ever intended us to be defeated. We are an overcomer. Nancy uh, said prophetically while she was singing there, we don't care what your present looks like, God. We just need more. And many times God's presence does not look like we think it should look like. We try to bring past experiences into now, and that doesn't work. How you experienced God a year or two years ago is not how you're supposed to experience him today. And many times we, when we feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm just not feeling the presence like I should be, we try to bring back what we did 10 years ago, and I want to tell you what, that puts us backwards instead of forwards. We need to build on every experience and every encounter that we have with God. And in that, you should never come to a church service or a ministry and expect the worship team to bring you into the presence. If you do, or expect the preacher to bring you into the presence. If you do, then you come with an orphan spirit, and you're dependent on a man or a woman or a team and not dependent on God. So if you come here on a Sunday morning and you expect worship to bring you into the presence, you've come with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude. You've come as an orphan, and God is telling you, you are not an orphan. You are adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ as a son and as a daughter. So when you come in, no matter what the band is doing, you should already bring the presence of God into the room. And I guarantee you, it will change the atmosphere. I'm not saying that you don't come to church when you're a little bit saddened or depressed. Absolutely, you need to come even more instead of, oh, I'm too bummed out, I'm going to stay home. That's your worst idea ever because I will guarantee you the enemy wants us separated and not together as a family. I will guarantee you the whole pandemic is issue of separating everybody would not help the scenario. It did not help the family and the people who need the strength to be together. I'm not saying that, that six feet apart, I don't know where that magic number came from, but two meters apart, we still gather. We need to come together because God created family as a family and not individuality as some organizations are promoting and against the nuclear family and they're promoting individuality. And I want to tell you what, God never, never intended you and I to live individual lives. He never even intended us to live individual gifts. 
He never even intended us to, to be an individual preacher or an individual minister. Never did he intend Windward to be an individual church and not be connected in unity with many others. Because the family of God is way more important than any one person or anyone with an attitude that they are better than anybody else. I'll tell you what, you have an experienced family if you think you know more than somebody else. We need to be satisfied with what God has revealed to us. And in that satisfa satis satisfaction, it doesn't mean contentment to do no more. Satisfaction in God always draws hunger, and hunger always draws increase. And when we're obedient to the hunger of God, I guarantee you, you will have increase in your life. So I don't come to church on my emotional attitude. I will guarantee you that if I came to church or didn't come to church on my emotional attitude, you would see less and less of me here. There are many times where you're feeling exhausted, tired, burnt out, but you know what? My alarm gets off, I start praising God, I start getting in the car, my wife and I pray into the service here, and, and we come with an expectation that it's not my attitude or my physical perspective and my body, my tiredness, that's gonna change God's presence. I don't come here to look at carrying my weakness into the house. I come here leaving my weakness out on 401 highway somewhere while I'm praying it right out of my body and out of my mind. By the time I get here, I'm ready to go charged and fired no matter what I felt like an hour before. You see, because the attitude that we carry with God in us is solely dependent on your understanding and your willingness to have the right attitude. You see, attitude is your choice and nobody else's. Even when someone offends you, your attitude is your choice and no one else's. Oh, I think I have the right to have a bad attitude because they offended me. No, you're actually living a lie. That would give Jesus the right to have had a bad attitude his whole ministry. Because he offended a lot of people. So you and I don't have that right. Because when we... When we feel, we listen to the teaching of the last 30 or 20 years that it's your choice, it's your right, it's this and that, and do you remember it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like a oneness movement, but it's all by yourself. It's like, you're just going to, you, you can do what you want to do. No one can tell you anything different until you get pulled over by the police I tried that one time, and it didn't work well. He got, I got five tickets instead of one because I had an attitude. Uh, that was last week. No, that was many years ago when I was a teenager with a bad attitude. He pulled me over. I had a 1972 Oldsmobile 455 big block. I used to drag race at Mission Raceway here and Birch Bay and Four Road and all the other places. I think I had 36 points in the first six months of my driving, and those are the only ones they caught me at. <laughs> and I remember he pulled me over in downtown Abbotsford, right at five corners, just gone through five corners. I'd just come out of North Vancouver, it was around 1.30 in the morning. He pulls me over. He follows me for a bit and then pulls me over. He says, Drive, uh, license and registration. I said, well, what did I do, sir? License and registration. He comes back from his car, sign here. What did I do? Speeding. Speeding. Where was I speeding? Down McCollum or wherever it was. I'm thinking, well, 
Thank goodness he didn't catch me on the freeway. <laughs> I said, well, what if I don't sign? He said, sign. So I signed. He said, sign here. I said, well, what did I do here? He said, unnecessary, uh, undue undue unnecessary noise and attention or something like that. I signed. Flips the page over again. Sign here. What did I do here now? It was some other bogus, well, it's probably legit, but. <laughs> After four signatures on four separate tickets, I'm a little bit unhappy. And I'm 16 and a half years old. And I looked at him, and I said, can you give me a ticket for thinking? He's like, what? Can you give me a ticket for thinking? No. Good, because I think you are in my backslidden lifestyle. It was dark. I saw his face get red. I hope everything's working in your car. Yep. Put your emergency brake on. Oh, my goodness, the one thing that didn't work. So I have a little brake light switch and on the bottom of the dash to turn off my tail lights and brake lights. I won't explain why. Some of you might know. So I pushed the emergency brake like it was getting tighter and tighter, but there was no cable, just click, 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 click. Just start the car up, start it up. It's a big block, built. Put it in gear. Put my foot on the brake, hit the switch, so the I uh, sorry, kept the switch on, put it in gear, and quickly switched. And he says, let your foot off the brake. <laughs> Fifth signature. <laughs> I want to say I didn't deserve them, but I did. And I even deserved the fifth one because of a bad attitude. And so if you get bummed out or you get... Maybe the favor of the Lord doesn't lie on you as much as you're hoping to check your attitude. It makes a big difference. The angelic police are writing it down. I have no idea. I really don't know. I want to talk about victory through impossibilities. You see, impossibilities become an open door to live a lifestyle of victory. But if you're not living in victory, then the impossibilities become overwhelming. And we need to understand that when we're feeling low or down, we need to be in prayer. We need to cry out to the Lord even more. Because there's really only one thing that can stop the saints from gathering together. And that's prayer. You see, when governments say you can't gather, we can still pray. When you might be separated two meters, we can still pray. When you're only allowed 10 people or whatever it is in your house, we can still pray. Matter of fact, we can get our phones out and we can link a lot of people together and have a wild prayer meeting over our phones. Amen? We can take what's going on around us. We don't have to agree with it. I tell you what, I did not agree with a lot of stuff that happened last year and is happening today. Actually, an absolute disagreement. At the same time, there are real viruses that are out there. And I truly believe COVID is a real virus. Whether it was man-made or not, that's your choice. 
But I know people, I've lost pastors in Mexico, that when I go back into Mexico, they're not around anymore. That COVID led into pneumonia, and pneumonia took them out. And in that right now, I want to pray for people that are sick. We have people that, it's hard to tell right now if you've got a cold, if you've got influenza. Oh, no, there is no more influenza, that's right. It's amazing how fast that ended. Whoops. <laughs> influenza. It's just a common cold. How many have had a bit of a stuffy? Oh, don't put your hand up. You won't I'm supposed to be here, maybe. <laughs> kind of like in the grocery store. Don't sneeze. Like, you know, guys are running out the store to sneeze outside, but they forgot to pay, and now they're all tackled and thrown in jail, you know, but... I just didn't want to sneeze in the store. I'm sorry. I'll go back in and pay for the groceries. (laughs) The reality is, is things are happening. People are dying. No matter what it is that's causing death, people will die physically. Spiritually, I believe a believer is transitioned from glory to glory. So, but if you believe glory to glory, then you need to live glory now. Or you're kind of going not glory to glory. (laughs) So let's get in glory to glory mode, amen? Because that's what our destiny is on this earth. We walk in glory now. We walk with power and authority now. Not when you die. When you die, you don't need the power and authority anymore. You don't need to heal anybody anymore because you're up there. We need to walk in it now, on this earth, as it is in heaven, on earth, as it is in heaven, in you, in me, as it is in heaven. And we need to pray. All revival birthed out of prayer. Every revival I've studied in history all birthed out of prayer. Prayer and unity together. And it wasn't even a large group that ever started the revival We've been a part of Bethel uh, since the year 1999. And back when we were going, originally, uh, my wife and I and our young kids were, were part with Bethel, and we still are, but, but at Bethel, we had like one service on a Sunday. It was like, if you've ever been to their gymnatorium thing, we didn't have bleachers. We had like 700 people, I think. The school, first year school, starting in around 99, 2000. But you see, it didn't birth to where it is, 7,500 people now or whatever it is and the influence it has in the world. It didn't birth overnight. It actually took a small core group of people in unity and prayer, believing in the miraculous, wondering power of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It only took a few. It's like if you study the birthing of Hillsong, five couples believed in it. That's all it took to where they are today. We need to pray and pray and be in prayer. But I don't believe that we just hunker down in prayer and do nothing. I believe prayer is a motivator. It's a precursor to doing something. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Matthew 10, starting in verse 7. And I wanted to just say, too, uh, we were having a little bit of internet issues, and so live stream might not be, uh, be functioning well today. And before I read this, I just want to pray. I just got news this morning before the service. Dora, um, she's in Guatemala looking after her, her mom. She, she's sick, and she just got diagnosed with COVID, and so she can't fly home or anything like that. 
But there's a lot of people that are sick right now, have flus, viruses, maybe COVID, maybe a variant, maybe cancers, tumors, whatever. Um, so let's just, let's just go into prayer. Uh, if there's anybody that you know that's, uh, that's sick, let's just, you guys be interceding for them as we pray. Father, we pray right now for Dora, but for many others that are sick right now. Uh, we pray, Lord God, your healing power in Jesus' name, uh, especially people that are in other countries and third world nations that don't have the medical systems that we do. I pray, Lord God, for a miracle, healing, sign, and wonder to be imparted that the heavens render over every one of our family members and friends uh, that are feeling under the weather that there's a rending of the heavens right now and your Holy Spirit power, healing name of Jesus Christ to be poured out and touching all all over their bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 10, starting in verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's look at that verse 7. What, what's being said here is that we all can preach and share the gospel. You're saying, well, this was to the disciples. Yeah, what are you if you know Jesus? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You're a disciple. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're disciples of the Christian faith, amen? So as you go, it doesn't say only some can go. It's as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The supernatural realm is touchable right now in Jesus' name. Everyone is told to go preach the gospel. The problem is, is many people think preaching is what I'm doing. I would probably say the best testimony and witness that any one of us has in our life is what we do off the pulpit. You can have a gifted man, a gifted woman preaching the word of God, living in complete sin behind the scenes, but the word of God will never come back void. Miracles, signs, and wonders, but then sin, sin, sin in the life. Out of the sovereignty and goodness of God, people hear the word and they get radically touched. But you see, I'm not talking about you being a preacher. You could be. But what preaching truly is when you go into the realm of it, it's living a testimony that preaches Jesus Christ. It's actually walking on this earth in such a way that people will come to you because you're different. You're turning the world upside down. What do you mean you're not all fearful and worried about dying from a virus or cancer or whatever? How can you be living? Oh, you have COVID, but I don't see you in fear. Exactly. You got cancer, but I don't see you in fear. Exactly. You are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you start and we start to live life as a preaching gospel testimony of Jesus Christ, then verse 8 kicks into gear. And verse 8 says, <laughs> I just love this, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. For freely you have been given, freely received, and freely give. You see, practical ministry is preaching the gospel. When you live practical ministry of a testimony, you start to see the miraculous because practical lifestyle, living in kingdom mentality, you open the supernatural realm around you. So many people try to do miracles but don't live with the true understanding and, and, and empowerment of Jesus in their life on a daily basis. 
Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 36. I'm going to read a, a lot of scripture here today. I don't want to just tell you the story. I want us to get into the word. So Judges 6, starting in 36. So Gideon said to God, you see, God has now asked Gideon to, to basically destroy the most powerful army on the earth at that day. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, so let's put this into perspective. Here's Gideon. And God has told him, yeah, you're, you're going to go and destroy the most powerful armies of the world that literally want to cut your heads off and kill your women and kill your children and probably kill your goats and your cows and your dogs and your cats. Oh, heaven, not the glorious dogs. I'm sorry. So this is what's happening. So Gideon said, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, so he's asking a question, but it's lining up for something. Verse 37, look, I shall put a fleece or wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. How many have ever honestly put a fleece before God? I put many fleeces before God. I do want to encourage you, if you put a fleece before God, and it happens, do it. And so verse, thir- and so verse 38, and it was so, when he rose early, when Gideon rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water, but the ground is dry. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. I love that he's not demanding to God. He's actually really respecting him. I don't know how God likes if you say, God, do this. I'm not sure how he likes that. I I know what I feel when one of my sons or daughters tells me that. Dad, do this. Who are you? in the family. I know you're my son, my daughter, but seriously, I have a little bit more tact. Like, come to me and say, hey, dad, how would you do this if you were to do it? (laughs) And they usually get me roped in, and I end up doing it and helping them with it, but. So do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Again, I encourage you, if you ever put a fleece out to God, and it happens the way you said the fleece, one of your greatest mistakes would be to not do it. Because you, I believe, you step yourselves out of favor, blessing and honor in the kingdom. And the other thing I would highly say, if you ever put a fleece out to God, or you sense he tells you to do something, then you do it with the right attitude. So you're not out there signing tickets along the way. Do it with the right attitude. Do it with right motive and right heart. Instead of saying, okay, God, I'll go ahead and do it. 
And then you go to your wife or your husband, you go to your family, yeah, no, God's making me do this and I don't want to do it. Well, let me tell you something, that I don't think goes over well. It doesn't go over well in my family, I doubt it would go over well in heaven. If Gideon at this point had said, yeah, that was pretty good, God, but you know what, I'm still not going to do it. You might be a little bit like someone who got swallowed by a whale and got to experience the digestive system of a whale. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I know one thing. I was a captain in yachts, and we did a ton of fishing, and I've seen many, many bellies opened up a fish and just say, okay, God, I'm doing it. I'm going to Nineveh. Okay, God, I'm going to go visit my neighbor. (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm going to go give my neighbor a pie. The one that dog comes over and does his doo-doo on my yard every single day, but I'm going to go give him a pie. I don't know. I live on acreage, so our dogs do enough of that. When he says do something, do it happily. Willingly, joyfully, celebrate it. Because the manifold blessings, he's looking to pour out his blessing. He's looking to pour out his manifested love on his people. Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So this is the next process. He's now getting ready to be obedient to what God said because the two fleeces worked. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Don't you just love to hear that? Let's say you're really nervous about street evangelism. Anyone nervous about street evangelism? Or even nervous about getting on the pulpit or preaching or something? I don't know. And you're like, okay, God, I'll go evangelize, but, but can our winsome school, all the students come with me? Nope, too many. Too many. Okay, God. I'm going to do the word you said. I need all my army. I need all my men ready to fight because the odds are stacked against us. The odds? Let me give you the numbers of the odds. Right there, it was one Israelite to 4.2 Midianites. So that's kind of like jumping into a fight that four guys are getting on you and you're by yourself. Well, 4.2. The Lord, uh, verse 2 again, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Huh. You see, God learned from past experience of these Israelites. That has happened before. And so he's saying, nah, you're going to have to have great faith in me. You know what? I'm not going to give you an assignment that you can accomplish by yourself. I'm going to give you an assignment that you have to have me with you in. Verse 3, 
Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Now he's speaking to, the to Gideon, who's going to speak to the Israelite army, which is about 32,000 or 35,000 people at the time. But they were going against 135,000 plus Midianites. So he said to them, if you're afraid, let them depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And here's Gideon. I should have never done the fleece. I should have just maybe ignored it, the word at the first place. But once I did the fleece, oh my goodness. But the Lord said to Gideon in verse 4, the people are still too many. you got 10,000 people for crying out loud. You're only going against 135,000. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. What are you going to do, drown them, God? I mean, what do you mean bring them to the water? You're going to test them. Can they swim or what? Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so Gideon brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps water, laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. So now, it's dependent on how you drink. I want to tell you, how do you drink when you come to the well? If there is a well in Windward Center right now, how do you come to drink? Needy, or do you come as an experienced warrior? Because an experienced warrior, please don't take this wrong, would bend down, looking, take the water, looking, and drink. It's kind of like when I'm hunting in grizzly territory. <laughs> my gun is on this hand, and my other hand is dipping the water. An inexperienced warrior puts his shield and sword down. I'm not saying don't lie down and soak in the presence of God. I'm just saying don't do it when the enemy's there ready to cut your head off. Know when to soak in his presence and know when to stand up and walk in power and authority in Jesus' name. You see, when any government in the world tells you you can't gather, you can't do church, you can't be a Christian, you can't do this and that, don't bow down and drink the water without being a warrior and saying, oh no, I am family and nothing will stop me from being family. Even more warriors, they will gather in four or five. One will be on a knee here. Another will be that way, another to the back, and another one to the side. So they're seen 360 degrees, but they never let go of their sword. Ever do they let go of their sword. And the number of these who lapped to their hands, putting, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. And then the Lord said to Gideon, 
by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. (laughs) Those are actually super, super bad odds. If you calculate out 300, okay, let's start here. 32,000 of Gideon's army, 135,000 Midianites. That's 1 to 4.2. Too many men. Verse 3 to 6, 22,000 Israelites left, 10,000 men remain. That's 1 to 13.5 Midianites. God still says too many. The odds are bad. Yeah, I'd say the odds are bad. No, the odds were bad that man would claim victory instead of God getting the victory. So when you are obedient to the Lord, never claim it as your victory. You always claim it as God's victory. By his name, I stand on this pulpit. My name, Brent, is only Brent. It means steep hill. I'm a steep hill. People try to climb me. Steep, steep, steep hill. I'm up here not by my name. I'm up here by a name above all names. That's why I didn't call the ministry Brent Boyswick Ministries. I'm not against people who do. It's just really hard for the next generation to carry it on, unless it's my son because his first name is Brent, his legal first name. So you have to call your son Brent, and then, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Well, it's not how it goes in our family, be Justin. So 9,700 kneeled down to drink, 300 men lapped with water. So that's one to 450. One man to 450. That, that's the, that's not good odds. That's actually really, really bad odds. Verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. So, you've got to remember, he's given two fleeces to God, and they all worked for God's favor. Now, he's got 32,000 men. 20,000 were fearful. They left. Now he's down to 10,000. Well, 9,700 drank wrong. They didn't drink properly. So now he's down to 300 against 135,000, one to 450. The same night, God didn't even give him a time, like a week or two to kind of mellow out, process it. The same night, God says, hey, why don't you just get them all right now and go, go take the camp out? But if you're scared, he says, I love God. I want you to do this, but if you are fearful, I've got another plan which is going to help you get this done, but you're still going to get this done. We're just going to be gentle, sort of, along the way. Because the gentle part was, instead of 300 men go down, just him and his servant were going to go down. So verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. Oh, that helps God. So instead of going down with 300 of my warriors, just go down by myself and my buddy. (laughs) I should have taken the first one. Matter of fact, I should have never done the fleeces. Verse 11, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. That's God. If you're concerned, if there's seriously a little bit of intrepidation in you to do something for God, a little bit of fear in you, God still gives you an opportunity. He gives you a plan. 
He gives you a way to still accomplish it because he'll never give us or you anything that is beyond your ability. He knows you better than you know yourself, believe it or not. He knew you before the foundations of the earth were laid. That's a whole lot longer he's known you than you've known yourself. Jeremiah 1.5, while you're being formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I sanctified you. Before you were even born, he knew you and he prepared you and set you aside for such a time as this. Verse 11 again, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Verse 12, I just love I want to say God's sense of humor, but God's prophetics, prophetic words that he imparts into the believers and into the non-believers. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. If you've ever seen a grass, a locust swarm, it's unbelievable. And their camels were without number. There were so many camels you couldn't even count them. As the sand by the seashore in multitude. Now you have to remember, 135,000 people. The city of Abbotsford is 135,000 people. And 300 men were surrounding it. Oh, in a bit. Right now, just Gideon and his servant. Even when they came down later and surrounded it, it wasn't like, hey, buddy, are you okay? Are you fearful? No, it was like, hey. Oh, shucks, let me get my cell phone. i got to call him. He's too far away. <laughs> Miles across, kilometers across in this way, would have been the camp of the Midianites. And so, verse 13, And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. Huh. What are the odds of that? Well... Wet fleece, dry fleece, probably quite high. And he said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. A loaf of barley bread. Doesn't sound like a horror story at this moment, or a horror dream. Maybe a bit of a pizza dream, as we call it. If you saw, imagine dreaming tonight, yeah, a loaf of bimbo bread rolled down the hill, or wonder bread rolled down the hill and took out my buddy's tent. Oh my goodness, we've lost the war. <laughs> barley, actually, barley bread was eaten a lot by the Israelites because they were so long in, in captivity. They didn't have money for proper, and barley bread was a much cheaper, was for very poor, poor people to have. It also tended to crumble a lot. Didn't have a lot of gluten in it. It crumbles and comes apart. And maybe the guy saw all the tents crumbling by these loaves of barley bread. I don't know. So it overturned and the tent collapsed. Verse 14. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. I honestly, I love doing dream interpretation. I do not know how that guy figured that out. <laughs> if I said, hey, I had a dream last night and a loaf of bread rolled down the hill and took the tent out, 
And the guy said, yeah, that's because you're going to lose the war. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I truly believe God works with the unsaved. He gives words and dreams. But he knew exactly what Gideon needed to hear. And so it was, verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Right there. The enemy's camp, he worshipped. Then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise! For the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Can you imagine this man's faith level to believe that God was going to fulfill the word that he promised to him, that he listened to the enemy's prophecy to arise 300 men and say, it is time. The enemy prophesied to me, (laughs) said, come, come, come now. Verse verse 16, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Ooh, that's a super good command to command an army. Look at me and do likewise. Maybe if my testimony is good enough, instead of preaching, I could just say, look at me and do likewise. I pray that people, when they see you, you could say to them, look at me and do likewise, because you're so on fire with God, and your faith level is so high, and the miraculous is happening all around you, that you could say, look at me and do likewise. Oh, but that's boastful. No, it's not. It's called identity in Jesus Christ. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, when you, I and all who are with me. It's a very interesting statement. You have to remember that this is miles across the valley. Miles down the valley is the camp of Midianites. 300 people. You probably, an average estimate, would be possibly one Gideonite warrior to every quarter to half a kilometer of, of, of distance for the next one. That's sort of how they were spaced out. But what Gideon said was very intriguing. And he said, just one, I just lost it. verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do also. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me. Gideon knew that when you're unified together as a group, as a family, as warriors, you will never be doing it alone. You will always be doing it with others around you. I truly believe what he was saying here is that the army of the Lord will be with us, that we will stand together and it will be full of an army, a maybe angelic army, if we truly believe in our obedience. Again, because God has never, ever intended us to do this alone. He never has intended me and my wife to build this ministry by ourselves. 
He has never intended you to just sit in a chair by yourself and do nothing. No, actually, this group right here, you could build the greatest West Coast revival in history. It's actually not reliant on me. <laughs> it's reliant on you. All it takes is a healthy group of people that truly, truly believe in the vision and the purposes of God. <laughs> Sometimes that starts as easy as just bringing someone to church one day. What a novel idea. Because if we really don't invite other people to come to Windward, then, then we're being selfish. Because when you have an unsaved person that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or maybe an unchurched person, or maybe someone who's been hurt by the church, they need to be set free. And you have the power and authority by the blood of Jesus Christ and His resurrection power, being filled with the Holy Spirit, to give them light in a dark place in their life. You might say, oh, Brent, you're just saying that because you want to build a big church. Actually, I'd like to have the whole, uh, a whole West Coast and all of Canada be saved. That would be my vision. People say, well, how many churches? You've already got just over 100 churches and ministries. I'm like, yeah, but that's not enough. They're not mine. I don't own this. I'm a son. I'm a son in the house of God serving. Because God did speak to me very clearly with an audible voice many times over my life of ministry. And I was willing to say, okay, God, I, I'm going for it. I did not want to leave business. I did not want to leave wealth. I did not want to leave these things. They were my God. But I'll tell you what. I'm glad I listened. Because if I hadn't, would we be here right now? Would we have the hundreds of thousands of people that have given their life to Jesus through us ministry and working with other ministries? <laughs> and you're a part of that. Like, that's part of your inheritance if you're part of this family. It doesn't just go to the dad. Matter of fact, when the mom and dad died, it all goes to the sons and daughters anyways and the grandbabies. When I blow the trumpet, verse 18, I and all the people, who, all the who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. <laughs> you imagine? The sword of the Lord and of Brent. <laughs> that just sounds so prideful, but you know what? It's part of an apostolic doctrine of a family. When I, when, I raised, when I was raised in my own family, my, my mother and father were missionaries for over 50 years, and I want to proudly declare that everything that I do, I do it on the Word of God by the, by the inheritance of my mother and my father, and by the inheritance of my grandma and grandpa that were pastors, and great-great-grandma and grandpa that were pastors. By the inheritance, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to claim it so I can pass that to my own kids, uh, so I can pass that to this own church. 
Not because I'm boasting, but because it's real in God that you have a destiny and a purpose. And if you're feeling weak, then draw on our strength together as a family because we are not weak. We're strong in Him. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets. That's about the middle of the night. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in the right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Three hundred men, thousands and thousands, maybe of angels, I don't know. But I know one thing. When you're obedient to God's word in your life, there is an authority and a power that resides with you. You don't walk this earth in fear. You walk this earth in victory. Verse 21. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. They didn't even have to go into the battle. They were the battle. They didn't have to go running and looking for demons. They were the victory. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his own companion throughout the whole camp. So here, the Midianites wake up, they hear this yelling and the screaming, and, and, and for, for the, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And, they get out of their tent half asleep. They hadn't had their morning coffee yet. And they get out and they look out and they probably saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of flaming torches. And the voices that were singing in the spirit and yelling and chanting in the spirit were such a level that it put so much fear in the fiercest fighting army of the, of the world known to man at that time. They literally would slaughter husband, wife, children, babies, uh, animals, everything was killed by these Midianites. They were violent men. But something <laughs> put so much fear in them. And I guarantee you, it wasn't 300 men. It was 300 faithful warriors that knew that they were not doing this on their own. And they were not doing it for their name. And they were not doing it for their identity. They were doing it for God's name. That God was going to prevail in the situation at hand. And they get out of their tents and they literally start killing each other. They're in so much fear. You see, that's what the devil does. When you live in victory... It just starts killing itself around you. It just can't survive you. It can't survive you. The attack of the enemy can't survive your identity in Christ Jesus. And the army of Gideon 
just started chasing them all down as they were fleeing for their lives, the enemy. It's okay to put a fleece out before God, but it's not okay to not be obedient. It's wise when you hear the voice of the Lord to bring it to wise counsel and spend time in prayer. But it is not okay to grumble about it and complain about it, that God's making you do this. No, no, he's not, you're not making you. You have to choose. He's the caller, we're the call. He's the callee, we're the, he's the caller, we're the callee. He speaks, we listen, we're obedient. And then, oh, all of the, major catastrophes of life like your cell phone got stolen or or you just marked your new shoes and you're so depressed over it or your little baby or grandchild just spilt a cup of milk in your car or or you just don't feel like you have enough money or you You just feel like you're not growing. These are the little catastrophes that the enemy is trying to lie to every one of us so you won't be one of the 300 chosen. Instead, you'll drink the water wrong. Wow. The Lord just laid something in my heart. Many people come to the fountain to drink for the wrong reason and they drink the wrong way they drink to find their identity instead of lose who they are in the fountain I'm going to tell you who you are if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you are a son or you are a daughter of the King if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior then I tell you what right now is the time you need to know him that this day was set aside just for you to say yes, yes to Jesus. All you have to do is believe in him and you shall be saved. John 3.16 is very clear about it. Confess with your mouth as Romans talks about. Maybe someone's watching online right now. Maybe you did know Jesus, but you just haven't been feeling it. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you've fallen into great levels of sin. Then now's the time right now to just say, you know what? God, I give my life back to you. I believe in you, that you are setting me free right now from all sickness, sin, and death in Jesus' name. Because the time is now to get right with the Lord. It's not next year. It's not a week from now. It's right now. And if anyone has been feeling weak, it's now time to get right with God again in Jesus' name. Don't ever put it off. That is not your destiny. It is not our calling. It's to literally today get so empowered by his presence that when we walk out those doors, we are evangelism going out into the cities, the highways, and the byways. That when we go out those doors and we this week we get to say hi to an unsafe family member, we get to go up and give them a hug in Jesus' love. Give them a big fat Holy Ghost kiss and see what they do about that. No, don't do that. It might freak them out. Oh, mom, come on. 
Matthew 14. And we hit 14 verse 23. And when Jesus had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When he, evening came, he was alone. What did he do? He went up on the mountain to pray. But the boat that he was supposed to go on had left. And it was out in the middle of the lake. But because he came off that mountain, bathed in such levels of intercession and prayer, that the physical realm just has to bow to the supernatural kingdom. And he walked across that lake to the boats. Amazing. But out of that story, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's really not that much of an amazing miracle for Jesus to walk on the water if you truly understand kingdom perspectives. It was actually quite normal in the supernatural realm to see miracles happen around you. It is very normal to see miracles happen around you when you live with a supernatural identity and understanding. The amazing thing was Peter. (laughs) Is that a ghost? Oh. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. There was fleece number one. If it's really you, God, help me. You're helped. You have the help already. Here we are. If that's really you, Jesus, tell me to come. I... I love to study the Greek and the Hebrew side of this verses. The expression of come was like, who do you think I am? What do you think I'm a ghost? Of course that's who I am. So the word when he says come, it's like, duh. Come. The greatest miracle of that night was that this human called Peter actually was willing to step out of the boat. Whether he walked on the water or not was not the miracle. It was his choice to step out of the boat. Because the miracle isn't subject to your control. What's subject to your control is your willingness to step out of the boat. I want to ask you here today as I close, what's your willingness level? Are you willing to step out of the boat? That could look as simple as forgiving someone who you just didn't feel you could forgive. Well, that's not simple. Well, actually it is with Jesus. Maybe it's fear of your financial situation. Maybe you're in a financial mess. Well, step out of the boat. Step out of the financial mess. Well, well, yeah, what's easy for you to say? You know how much credit card debt I have? Uh, No, I don't need to know. Step out of the boat. God didn't say how fast that stepping out would take. 
God said, step out of the boat. The miracle was the length he walked on the water, which was not super long before he looked around and got fearful and started to sink again. But at least he made a few steps. So if you're in a financial crisis, step out of the boat. Quit spending, be wise, and start the process of the miracle happening. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a year, maybe it's 10 years process, I don't know. This ministry didn't start overnight, it's been a process. 1996, we sort of stepped out of the boat, we stayed in the boat, but we untied from the dock. Just Brent and Sharon Borthwick, Samantha and Jessica. Oh, sorry, Samantha and Justin. Jessica wasn't here yet. You know, just a young married couple that actually made the front page news in, uh, in mission, the mission record or whatever it was. I still got a copy of it. <laughs> Picture of us sitting on, the, on our boat, front page, took up the front page. People feel that God has called them to take their family. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. We sold absolutely everything and went into the big romantic ocean that literally bit us in the butt every night. We were out there for the first five nights and days. So how big a step are you willing to take? We spent seven years preparing and getting debt free. 20 year mortgage, paid it off in four and a half years. So how big of a step are you willing to take out of the boat? Let's all stand. Whatever boat you're in, if it's not a good boat to be in, don't find your salvation in security. Don't find your safety in security. Find your salvation in Jesus Christ and your security in his name. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, if you know right now that there's things you need to change in your life, step out of the boat and change them right now in Jesus' name. It's, it's as simple as stepping, but you have to believe and don't do it grudgingly. Oh, goodness, here I go. Imagine if Peter... Is that you, Jesus? If it's you, tell me to come. Come. Well, not really sure about it right now. Actually, the waves are pretty big, you know. That wouldn't have worked well. He wouldn't have made it in the scriptures as a testimony. Come. Okay. Oh, look at the waves. Bloop, 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 bloop. But the hand of the Lord was right there. <sighs> Pulls them up out of the water and they walk back to the boat. See, the boat is your life. The storm are the problems you're willing to see that affect your life. Jesus is the answer. He's the calmer of the storm, but he'll teach you how to sleep in the middle of a storm as well, in the peace that passes all understanding. I would request us today, let's let the storms go. Don't hold on to them, and let's step out of the boat. Father, I pray here today, I ask you, Lord God, this is the day that you have made, and I ask, Father, that there is a shifting and a changing in our understanding right now of some kind. I ask, Lord God, that if anyone here needs encouragement, that you are the encourager to them right now, O oh Lord. 
I pray, Father God, that if anyone here needs financial wisdom in business or in decisions financially, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit, and you, Father God, and Jesus Christ will be the wisdom, as Jesus is called, the man, the author of wisdom. I pray, Lord God, any sickness, any diseases to just get out in Jesus' name. They don't need to be in our bodies, and they definitely don't need to be our focus in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, that we will walk with, with steps of fire instead of drag our feet along the ground. I pray, Father God, that as we step out of our boats right now, that we will stand on the water in your presence and in your glory. That we will experience an outpouring of your spirit upon us in Jesus' name. I ask, Lord God, that we will not have come in here and leave the same. But since we came in here, we will leave changed. We will leave different, oh God. That, that, that none of us here are expecting the change from a man preaching or from a song singer singing. But we expect the change to be us making choices and decisions. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come with power, with authority, with peace that passes all understanding. I just feel like there's a, a flowing waves of his presence. You do not have to stay standing. You can come up front here if you want. I just feel there's a flow of His presence. I just sense in my spirit that, that it's time to step out. Step out from your chair. Step out from your boat. Start to walk. Start to move forward. Start to do something different than what we did yesterday. That we don't come here with the same expectations that we had last year, but we come here every day with a greater expectation of His presence and of His glory in Jesus' name. I'm going to call the prayer team up here too. But I feel that if you need a, a word of encouragement, if you need a touch, if you need prayer, whatever it is, if you just want to celebrate Him, then don't stay seated there or standing where you are, but start to move around, start to come up, start to do something. I just feel like a physical step can release a supernatural encounter. Peter took a physical step to release a supernatural encounter in his life. And sometimes we just don't want to move, but I'm taking on this platform a physical step and another step to release an encounter of Jesus Christ in my life, in our lives, here as a church, as a family, as a ministry. I pray, oh God, I pray. Let your Holy Spirit come. Oh, let your will be done in us as it is in heaven on earth right now. Let your will be done, oh God. And here we are. We're not going to hunker down and hide in a boat or hide in our house or hide in our car or hide in our bathroom. We're going to step out today. <laughs> There's a false movement. They say the coming out. I, I'm coming out. No, I would tell you that's a false movement. It uses that statement. This is a biblical statement today. We are coming out in our true identity. Not a lie of the devil or a lie of the enemy. We are coming out today in our true identity as sons and daughters.
of Jesus Christ, of God Almighty. feel something. I felt it at the end of worship today. And the Lord's laying it in my heart again here right now. I felt when Chuck was, was singing earlier that we actually needed to wail. Wail in the presence of God. I know that sounds crazy and I don't even know what that all means. But I sense in my spirit that sometimes we need to just cry or scream or yell or do something. You know, you know, sometimes when I'm something happens to me and it's not good and I walk away and I go, Aah! you know, that kind of a feeling. But what I see in the spirit right now is as we cry out and we wail, it's literally dispelling darkness. It's dispelling attacks. It's dispelling sicknesses. Whatever that looks like, it could be you singing and praising God. It could be literally crying out. Sometimes we need to break. Sometimes we carry so much pressure, but we don't cry. We're so strong. That's a lie of the enemy. Sometimes we got to let it out. We have to just let it out sometimes. So I encourage you, just let it out, whatever it is. Cry out in the presence of God. Maybe cry out for your family. Like intercede, travail for your family. Travail for your health. Travail for our country. Travail for Canada and America. Travail for victory. She cut up Oh God, yes. Oh. Yes, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. travail for our prime minister I sense we need to because so many of us have given up hope <laughs> let's cry out and travail that he has an encounter of the living God that he has an encounter that his whole cabinet has an encounter that our nation is under one God one God that builds our nation in Jesus name I see someone's son walking away. 
in the spirit. And I feel we need to travail one more time for our children, for the sons and daughters of the king, the ones that know better, that we need to cry out for our First Nations brothers and sisters. We need to cry out for our sons and daughters. We need to cry out for the ones that need Jesus. We need to travail for salvation to come to our country. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. children for the unborn children I can see all these children that have been aborted and I just get a sense we cry out oh oh women oh women the answer is not to abort oh women I pray that our adoption laws in Canada will change and these kids will live in Jesus name Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law they meditate, in the word of God they meditate day and night. For they shall be like trees planted by the rivers of living water, which bring forth their fruit in due season, for their leaves will not wither, and whatever they do will prosper. Blessed are the men and women who walk in the counsel of the Almighty God, who live as the joy of the Lord is their strength, who rise up on wings of eagles. For our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, Amen, amen and Amen.